Letter twenty six of Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe or the History of a Young Lady, Volume seven, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty six. Mr. Belford to Robert Lovelace, Esquire, Thursday, July twentieth. I read that part of your conclusion to poor Belton, where you inquire after him and mentioned how merrily you and the rest pass your time at m hall he fetched a deep sigh you are all very happy were his words i am sorry they were his words for poor fellow he is going very fast change of air he hopes will mend him joined to the cheerful company i have left him in but nothing i dare say will a consuming malady and a consuming mistress to an indulgent keeper are dreadful things to struggle with both together violence must be used to get rid of the latter and yet he has not spirit enough left him to exert himself his house is thomasine's house not his he has not been within his doors for a fortnight past vagabonding about from inn to inn entering each for a bait only and staying two or three days without power to remove and hardly knowing which to go to next his malady is within him and he cannot run away from it her boys once he thought them his are sturdy enough to shoulder him in his own house as they pass by him siding with the mother they in a manner expel him and in his absence riot away on the remnant of his broken fortunes as to their mother who was once so tender so submissive so studious to oblige that we all pronounced him happy and his course of life the eligible she is now so termagant so insolent that he cannot contend with her without doing infinite prejudice to his health a broken-spirited defensive hardly a defensive therefore reduced to and this to a heart for so many years waging offensive war not valuing whom the opponent what a reduction now comparing himself to the superannuated lion in the fable kicked in the jaws and laid sprawling by the spurning heel of an ignoble ass i have undertaken his cause he has given me leave yet not without reluctance to put him into possession of his own house and to place in it for him his unhappy sister whom he has hitherto slighted because unhappy it is hard he told me and wept poor fellow when he said it that he cannot be permitted to die quietly in his own house the fruits of blessed keeping these though but lately apprised of her infidelity it now comes out to have been of so long continuance that he has no room to believe the boys to be his yet how fond did he use to be of them to what lovelace shall we attribute the tenderness which a reputed father frequently shows to the children of another man what is that i pray thee which we call nature and natural affection and what has man to boast of as to sagacity and penetration when he is as easily brought to cover and rear and even to love and often to prefer the product of another's guilt with his wife or mistress as a hen or a goose the eggs and even young of others of their kind nay let me ask if instinct as it is called in the animal creation does not enable them to distinguish their own much more easily than we with our boasted reason and sagacity in this nice particular can do if some men who have wives but of doubtful virtue considered this matter duly i believe their inordinate ardour after gain would be a good deal cooled when they could not be certain though their mates could for whose children they were elbowing bustling griping and perhaps cheating those with whom they have concerns whether friends neighbours or more certain mixed of kin by the mother's side however but i will not push this notion so far as it might be carried because if propagated it might be of unsocial or unnatural consequence since women of virtue would perhaps be more liable to suffer by the mistrusts and caprices or bad-hearted and foolish-headed husbands than those who can screen themselves from detection by art and hypocrisy to which a woman of virtue cannot have recourse and yet were this notion duly and generally considered it might be attended with no bad effects as good education good inclinations and established virtue would be the principally sought-after qualities and not money when a man not biased by mere personal attractions was looking round him for a partner in his fortunes and for a mother of his future children which are to be the heirs of his possessions and to enjoy the fruits of his industry 
but to return to poor Belton. If I have occasion for your assistance, and that of our compeers, in reinstating the poor fellow, I will give you notice. Meantime, I have just now been told that Thomasine declares she will not stir, for it seems she suspects that measures will be fallen upon to make her quit. She is Mrs. Belton, she says, and will prove her marriage. If she would give herself these airs in his lifetime, what would she attempt to do after his death? Her boy threatens anybody who shall presume to insult their mother. Their father, as they call poor Belton, they speak of as an unnatural one, and their probably true father is for ever there, hostilely there, passing for her cousin, as usual, now her protecting cousin. Hardly ever, I dare say, was there a keeper that did not make keeperess, who lavished away on her kept fellow what she obtained from the extravagant folly of him who kept her. I will do without you if I can. The case will be only, as I conceive, that, like of the ancient Sarmatians, their wives then in possession of their slaves, so that they had to contend not only with those wives, conscious of their infidelity, and with their slaves, but with the children of those slaves, grown up to manhood, resolute to defend their mothers, and their long manumitted fathers. But the noble Sarmatians, scorning to attack their slaves with equal weapons, only provided themselves with the same sort of whips with which they used formerly to chastise them, and attacking them with them, the miscreants fled before them in memory of which to this day the device on the coin in Novogrod in russia a city of the ancient sarmatia is a man on horseback with a whip in his hand the poor fellow takes it ill that you did not press him more than you did to be of your party at m hall it is owing to mowbray he is sure that he has so very slight an invitation from one whose invitations used to be so warm mowbray's speech to him he says he never will forgive why tom said the brutal fellow with a curse thou droopest like a pip or roop cloaking chicken thou shouldst grow perter or submit to a solitary quarantine if thou wouldst not infect the whole brood. For my own part, only that this poor fellow is in distress, as well in his affairs as in his mind, or I should be sick of you all. Such is the relish I have of the conversation, and such my admiration of the deportment and sentiments of this divine lady, that I would forego a month, even of thy company, to be admitted into hers but for one hour, and I am highly in conceit with myself, greatly as I used to value thine, for being able, spontaneously as I may say, to make this preference. It is, after all, a devilish life we have lived, and to consider how it all ends in a very few years to see to what a state of ill-health this poor fellow is so soon reduced and then to observe how every one of ye run away from the unhappy being as rats from a falling house is fine comfort to help a man to look back upon companions ill-chosen and a life misspent it will be your turn by and by every man of ye if the justice of your country interpose not thou art the only rake we have herded with if thou wilt not accept thyself who has preserved entire thy health and thy fortunes Mowbray, indeed, is indebted to a robust constitution that he has not yet suffered in his health, but his estate is dwindled away year by year. Three-fourths of Tourville's very considerable fortunes are already dissipated, and the remaining fourth will probably soon go after the other three. Poor Belton, we see how it is with him. His own felicity is that he will hardly live to want. Thou art too proud and too prudent ever to be destitute, and to do thee justice hath a spirit to assist such of thy friends as may be reduced, and wilt if thou shouldst then be living but I think thou must, much sooner than thy imaginest, be called to thy account, knocked on the head, perhaps, by the friends of those whom thou hast injured. For if thou escapest his fate from the Harlow family, thou wilt go on tempting danger and vengeance, till thou meetest with vengeance, and this whether thou marriest or not. For the nuptial life will not, I doubt, till age join with it, cure thee of that spirit for intrigue which is continually running away with thee, in spite of thy better sense and transitory resolutions. Well, then, I will suppose thee laid down quietly among thy worthy ancestors. And now let me look forward to the ends of Tourville and Mowbray. Belton will be crumbled into dust before thee, perhaps, supposing thy early exit has saved thee from gallows intervention. Reduced probably by riotous waste to consequential want, behold them refuge in some obscene hole or garret, obliged to the careless care of some dirty old woman, whom nothing but her poverty prevails upon to attend to perform the last offices for men, who have made such shocking ravage among the young ones. 
and how miserably will they whine through squeaking organs their big voices turned into puling pity begging lamentations their now offensive paws how helpless then their now erect necks then denying support to their aching heads those globes of mischief dropping upon their quaking shoulders then what wry faces will they make their hearts and their heads reproaching each other distended their parched mouths sunk their unmuscled cheeks dropped their underjaws each grunting like the swine he had resembled in his life oh what a vile wretch have i been oh that i had my life to come over again confessing to the poor old woman who cannot shrive them imaginary ghosts of deflowered virgins and polluted matrons flitting before their glassy eyes and old satan to their apprehensions grinning behind a looking-glass held up before them to frighten them with a the horror visible in their own countenances for my own part if i can get some good family to credit me with a sister or daughter as i have now an increased fortune which will enable me to propose handsome settlements i will desert ye all marry and live a life of reason rather than a life of a brute for the time to come End of letter twenty six